You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church, and I'm so excited uh, for this teaching series we're going through called Hooked. Uh, Last week, we talked about New Year, New You, right? And despite our greatest efforts, we can't actually become a new you in the new year. And if we want to really change and really experience becoming free in Christ, becoming a new creature in Christ, we have to be made new by God. We have to be born again. And uh, we kind of left on a cliffhanger last week. For many of you, we asked the question, okay, you've already been made new by Christ. Why do you still struggle with sin and temptation? Why can't you break those same habits, those same toxic things that, that plague us? And we talked about these three great enemies of our soul. These enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And today we're going to be talking about the devil. But for you, even as a follower of Jesus, even if you've been following Jesus your entire life, maybe decades, you still face these three great enemies of your soul. In fact, being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from fighting these enemies. In some ways, being a follower of Jesus makes these enemies rage against your soul all the more. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter six talks about as a follower of Jesus, we are in a battleground. Ephesians 6.12, this might be familiar to you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's, that's pretty intense. And yet, for many of us, we don't actually recognize that we are in a battle. We kind of feel like, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I guess my spiritual formation will just be automatic. I guess becoming more like Jesus will just somehow happen to me through osmosis or some kind of, you know, the the spirit's in me, so I must automatically become more like Christ. But the reality is, the more you're following Jesus, once you step into the kingdom of light, that's actually when Satan mobilizes his forces. That's actually when the the spiritual forces of darkness, as Paul writes to the church, that's when they mobilize against you. C.S. Lewis put it like this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And one of those things that, that God and Satan are trying to claim is your very soul, is your thoughts, your decisions, your words, your actions every day of your life. I mean, think about the book of Job. It's this, this ancient book where the devil asks to tempt one person on planet Earth. And who does he pick? He picks the most righteous person on planet Earth. The one who is already following God's will the closest, that is the person the enemy chooses to rage against with the most ferocity. And I would just say to you in your life, the closer that you follow Jesus, the more resistance you can expect to experience from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I know what many of you might be thinking, 
In fact, statistically speaking, about 40% of you might be thinking, is the devil, seriously? Seriously? I mean, check the year. It's 2022. That's an archaic thought, right? That, that, that's kind of this, this outdated belief. Barna did a study, and it found that about 40% of practicing Christians, 40% of people in this room, did not believe that the devil is an active living being, but maybe just a literary device used by the authors of Scripture, Maybe just, you know, a personification of evil, a way of talking about evil, but not actually part of our lives. And I don't want to waste kind of my breath trying to prove that the devil is real to you today. Uh, I feel like I could waste a lot of time trying to make that, uh, that proof to you today. But I'll just say a few comments on it. The first one is I think the lack of belief in the devil's existence, but again, we're not talking about believing in the devil like having faith in the devil or anything like that, but just acknowledging that the devil exists primarily is because of two reasons. Number one, media. You notice the devil shows up in media all the time, right? Shows up in little cartoons from the time you're a little kid, little devil on Bugs Bunny's shoulder, right? It shows up in books. The devil shows up even in SNL, Saturday Night Live, and there's all of these portrayals of the devil as a fictitious character, and that kind of makes us seem like Oh, it's silly to believe in that. That's just you know, cartoon stuff or comedy stuff or, or, or literature type stuff. The devil isn't real. It's just kind of a fictitious character. And then the second one is materialism. Materialism is an ideology, uh, post-enlightenment ideology, that essentially says that anything you see exists, and if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Matter, right? That's all that's real. The ultimate reality is matter, and that's materialism. And as a spiritual person, materialism flies against you know, the belief in God. It flies against the belief in all kinds of things that we as followers of Jesus hold to. So I would say if you struggle to believe that the devil is a real spiritual being, it's not because the Bible is unclear on it. It's because maybe culture or maybe literature, or maybe some of those other influences in your life have contributed to that belief. Here's what I'll say. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You can't defeat an enemy that you don't believe exists. That's why I believe that this is not some kind of fringe theology. I think it's a very important theology for us as followers of Jesus to affirm is you cannot defeat an enemy if you don't believe the enemy exists. Or we can say you can't win a battle if you don't even know you're in a battle. I mean, think about a full-on battlefield you know, going on and there's bullets flying and bombs going off and, and you're there and you have noise-canceling headphones and you're, you're playing a you know, candy crush on your phone and you're just walking around. Not only will you not win that battle, you will be devoured in the midst of that battle. And I believe if we wanna see renewal in our time, if we wanna see spiritual formation, if we wanna advance the kingdom of heaven on earth, we have to acknowledge that there's an enemy. The enemy is real. Like I said, consistent biblical theology, Old Testament all the way through New Testament affirms the reality of God's great enemy, Satan. And not only that, but Jesus Christ himself Maybe if you're like, well, there's, you know, there's some passages in, in, in the Bible that I'm still a little you know, not sure about or something like that. But if you believe Jesus, Jesus taught about the devil. We're gonna read one of his great passages today about it. He talked to the devil. 
He was tempted by the devil. He met him, right? And, and, and so look at John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus speaking about his purpose, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Last week, we talked about what sin leads us to. You remember the, the lure from last week? When we're lured away by our temptations, we take the bait and, and we get hooked on it, and that ultimately leads us to death, right? You know, the fish, once it gets out of the water, it, it dies. And for us, we have to acknowledge that Satan's primary goal is death. In Jesus' own words, to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the opposite goal, notice, of what Jesus came to do. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He, might, he came that we might have eternal life. God created you for life, and he wants you to experience life and life to the full. But don't get me wrong, the devil and God, they, they do have opposite goals, conflicting goals, but they are not equal opposites. Does that make sense? They're not on equal playing fields. John Mark Comer, in his recent book, Live No Lies, he actually has a section on the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we'll be looking at that a little bit these next few weeks. And in his section on the devil, this is what he says. He says, in the interim, the devil is like a wounded animal, a dying dragon, more dangerous than ever. Contrary to popular artistic uh, imaginings, the devil is not in hell, he's here on earth. And if Jesus's anthem is on earth as it is in heaven, the devil's is on earth as it is in hell. I feel, I think, feel like that's a really helpful mission statement for Satan to acknowledge. If Jesus teaches us to pray, and if his mission is to bring the kingdom of heaven more and more increasingly on earth, then what the devil is trying to do is the exact opposite of that, on earth as it is in hell. Now, Jesus defeated the enemy. Remember that prophecy from Genesis 3 where the, the son of uh, a woman will crush the head of the serpent, and that happened when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, right? So our salvation, the victory has already been won, and yet, like John Mark Comer says, the devil is a dying dragon. I don't know if you've ever had an animal that's been wounded before, my dogs, when they get, you know, a goat head in their paws or something, for some reason, they're never more dangerous than when they're wounded and already hurting. And I feel like that is the situation that the church finds itself in today. We're facing the dying dragon, and 40% of us don't even acknowledge that he exists. So today, we're going to look at one of Jesus's crystal clear teachings on the devil, and so for you, even if you're struggling to acknowledge that uh, theology of Satan, I would just ask you, maybe just for the remainder of our teaching, could you at least kind of suspend that disbelief? Say, okay, if Jesus is right, okay, pause for effect. If, Je if Jesus is right, if Jesus is correct, let's say the devil is real, how do we fight him? How do, what is his tactics? What's his main strategy? How do we fight him so that I can experience more victory in my life and I can change and I can become the person God is calling me to be? If you have a Bible, open John chapter eight. We're gonna be in John chapter eight the rest of our time uh, today. And just a little bit of context to set up John chapter eight. Uh, this is a long dialogue between Jesus and the Jews in the temple. 
So they're having this long back and forth dialogue, and these Jews in particular are not favorable towards Jesus. We know that many of the people in the crowd were Jewish, and they heard Jesus' teachings, and they even responded. But when it says the Jews in our teaching text, these are Jews trying to test Jesus. They're not friends of Jesus necessarily. And primarily, some of the questions surrounding Jesus are questions of his identity, some of the most clear black and white statements that Jesus makes about himself being the son of the living God, they come from John chapter eight. It's this amazing uh, passage. I would say for you, if you're wrestling through that question of who is Jesus? Was he just a man? Was he a good teacher? Was he a prophet? Or was he the son of the living God? Read and reflect on John chapter eight. Two questions in particular that they're asking is, is number one, in John eight nineteen, where is your father? Because he's talking about his father like his father is God. And they're kind of confused by that. Are you talking about like Joseph, your adopted father? Like they're, they're confused. And then the second question is just point blank, who are you, right? Who are you? So you can see these are questions of identity. Where did you come from? Who is your father? Who are you. And by the end of the chapter, the things that Jesus says in response are going to be so bold that literally the sermon ends with the audience picking up stones and trying to kill him. Now, I've had some maybe not great sermons before, but I've never ended a sermon with everyone being like, that is it. Pick up this, like, it's intense. Like, this is, in, they're doing that in the temple, in the temple, in the place of worship, they're like, that's enough. They believe that the, the things that Jesus said were so bold that they saw them as blasphemous. They couldn't understand them as truth. And we're gonna go through the text a little bit out of order today, so just fair warning on that. It's a long dialogue, like I said. We're gonna be kind of picking and choosing parts of this. We'll start at the end. They're asking Jesus about who he is and where his father is from, and Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, flips it around. John chapter eight, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is how much truth in him? No truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, or we can say he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, that's a, you can see why they would pick up stones and try to kill him. If, if, if a preacher just said to everyone, your father is the devil, right? That's a pretty like, mean thing to say. And yet Jesus is spot on with this because the, the, the group that he's addressing is the group that is going to try to kill him. Where do you think their desire to kill the son of God came from? It was demonic, Right? They were deceived. Their desire to kill him, their offense that he would claim to be the son of God when he was, actually was deception from the enemy. So when he's saying you are of your father and what you wanna do, your will is to do, not your, not your father in heaven's will, it's to do the devil's will. You're so far deceived that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And, uh, and we know that sin births death, we talked about that last week, and what the enemy wants to do, as we already talked about, he's a murderer, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he do that? Jesus says he's the father of lies. So here's another way we could say it for our purposes today. The devil spreads death by telling lies. 
That's how the enemy spreads death. He tells us lies. He deceives mankind in order to get us to sin and rebel against God, to not trust God, but to trust him. And when we sin and rebel against God, sin births death. So lies were deceived, leads to sin, which ultimately leads to death. John Mark Comer in his book, he says it like this. This is kind of his thesis statement for the book, Live No Lies. The devil's primary stratagem is to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas, that's the devil, that play to disordered desires, that's the flesh, we'll talk about that next week, which are normalized in a sinful society. That's the world, which we'll talk about on week four of our teaching series. The, the devil, the flesh, and the world. Part of, it, part of it is what we believe, our deepest core beliefs. The next part of it goes into our deepest desires, and the next part of it goes into our community and who we are surrounded by. So you might be wondering, if the devil is a liar and he's been lying from the beginning, what are his lies? His primary strategy is deception. It's not like a war like from Lord of the Rings or World War II. It's like a Cold War. We talked about a number of weeks ago the, you know, the foreign troll farms. Were you here for that? The people who are, you know, social media propaganda and algorithms and bots and all that sort of stuff. That's kind of like the devil's main game, actually, and who are being targeted by all of the misinformation in our modern day. We looked at it last week. Christians primarily, actually, Christians are being targeted with deception and lies, and we're falling for it hook, line, and sinker. We're hooked on the lies of the enemy. So we have to understand what the lies of the devil are if we're going to combat them. So if the devil's been lying from the beginning, let's look at the beginning, Genesis chapter three, once again. Genesis three, verse one. This is how it starts for Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? And then he quotes God. Do you know the devil knows the Bible? He knows scripture. He quotes God and he says, you shall not eat of, and then he inserts only one word any tree in the garden. Now, is that what God said? No, God said, you shall not eat of this one tree of the garden. And so the devil takes the truth and he just replaces a word right there. You see that he, it's, an, it's a half truth, maybe not even a half truth. It's a 98% truth. And he gets it just off enough that it leads us to line number one. So there's three main lies from the beginning. Line number one is this, if you're taking notes. Did God really say Everyone say, really? You gotta give a little bit like, did God really say? Really? And this first lie is not even like a bold-faced lie. It's more of a question. It's more of a suggestion. It's the devil asking Eve, did God really say? Maybe God's holding out on you. Maybe God's not telling you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Maybe there's something good that God is withholding from you. And if the devil can get us to question God's character and God's goodness, then the rest will follow. And for us, in our, in our current age, deconstruction is in the air. It's just That's a fancy way for people talking about people kind of disassembling their faith. Often people have church hurt stories and, and maybe kind of fundamentalistic ways of reading scripture or some of that sort of stuff. And I'm not here to say that there's anything wrong 
with processing through church hurt. There are many toxic church cultures and, and situations that happen. I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with leaving untruths behind that maybe you used to hold really tightly and now you're discovering that they're not truth. However, I do have some major critiques with this movement of deconstruction that's happening in church culture today, and that is this. Did God really say? And there's this common thread of not people asking God questions, because I believe a normal part of our faith is wrestling through questions, wrestling through doubts. If you have questions and doubts in your faith, you are not alone. Every single person wrestles with those kinds of things. But the problem is not asking God questions, it's that questioning God's character. And it's doing it, notice, where Eve was alone. Where's Adam? Nowhere to be found. What if she could have cross-referenced with Adam? Wait, did God really say that? He's like, no, God told me you can't eat just the one tree, not any, just the one. Or maybe even what if before she took the bite, went and asked God himself, God, did you really say, right? Notice isolation makes those temptations and those deceptions look oh so real. And I, I, and I would just say this to you, if you find yourself in a place wrestling through church hurt or wrestling through kind of spiritual baggage, theological baggage that you bring with you, it's okay to, to ask God questions, it's okay to wrestle through doubts, but I would just say this, do it with God, knowing that he is good, and do it in the community of our church. Do it with other followers of Jesus, because otherwise, those questions actually start to become truths in your mind. And those doubts actually become the things that you're building the framework of your life upon. So that's lie number one. It's very subtle, and it is alive and well in our culture today. The second two lies show up in verses four and five of Genesis three. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So that's like 100% wrong, okay? You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Lie number two, if you're taking notes, you won't die. It's not gonna kill you. I mean, how many of us have heard that or said that before? And yet last week, I mean, if you missed last week, go back and listen. Sin always, how many times? Always leads to, to death and destruction. It might not seem like it because we're a, we're, a, we're a fish that is hooked, but that line is going somewhere, isn't it? It's drawing you somewhere, isn't it? Into the boat. It draws us. Sin always leads to death. And this is, uh, the devil, it's like he's not even trying. Once he got Eve to doubt God's goodness and his character, she bought the full-on lie. You won't die. You won't die, right? And this, alive and well today. These three lies are all three alive and well Today, it's the idea that there are no consequences for your actions. There is no judge who's coming back to judge the righteous and the unrighteous alike. There is no hell. There is no accountability. There is no right and wrong. Right? All of these kind of, these kind of modern things that, we, that we, we hear so much, sometimes that we even are led astray by, is this idea that, that sin, and it's the opposite. Sin doesn't lead you to death. Sin leads you to happiness, it's all those religious rules and, and that sort of stuff that, that's really constricting and confining. That's really death, actually. True, true life is doing whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want. 
John Mark Comer says this, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. It's one of my favorite quotes from his new book. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. So this lie from the enemy is not only you won't die if you disobey God and rebel against God, that's actually gonna lead you to your greatest happiness and fulfillment. That there's this, there's this imaginary, you know, the fish takes the bait and it's like there's more of that in the boat. Imagine how many more worms are in the boat just waiting for you. Just wait until you get in the boat. That's the lie of the enemy. You won't die. It's not gonna kill you. What's the harm in a little bit of sin? And then lie number three is you can be God. He says, the devil says, you'll be like God. And really what he's saying is, you don't have to listen to God anymore. You can redefine good and evil for yourself. What if I told you that, that you could be your own boss? No rules, just right, Outback Steakhouse. I mean, so many of the marketing slogans, actually, if you look at them, they're playing into this desire to be your own, to be your own boss, to be your own king, to be your own lord, however you wanna say it. No rules, no higher authority, no absolute truth, just you as the individual living your best life now. And so she takes the bite and she realizes, oh, how wrong she was. So those are the, the three, I would say the three great lies of the enemy. There's many lies that, that come after those or that those lead us to, but those are the three great ones. Look at our culture, look at the messaging, and you're gonna see those three lies everywhere. Now, we're gonna reverse and, and, and go back to an earlier part in the discussion where Jesus actually already gave us the antidote. So how do we defeat those? Other than me just saying, those are lies, don't believe them. How do you actually defeat the lies of the enemy? Look in John chapter eight, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and everyone read it, and the truth will set you free. Now, many universities have that plastered you know, on, uh, on their hall or in their administration office, right? The truth will set you free. Notice Jesus is not talking about be smarter and go to college and then you'll be set free. He's not saying true information or not, the pursuit of knowledge in general will set you free. Notice how he's talking about truth. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. And Jesus, he forces us to wrestle with this idea of who created reality. God. So who defines reality? Who is the source of ultimate reality? It's God. And so when Jesus is saying the truth will set you free, we often see that clause isolated from the rest of Jesus's teaching. He's saying, where are you going to find truth? If you abide in whose word? My word, he says. Jesus is claiming to be the source of truth in the situation. He says, you guys are from the devil. And guess what? I'm from my Father in heaven, and I have the absolute truth, the truth. Not your truth and my truth, not this kind of relativistic idea. Truth corresponds with reality. Guess who created the fabric of reality? God did. So here's what I would say for us. The first thing we need to do if we're gonna defeat the deception of the devil is number one, trust God. Trust God. If the heart of that is, did God really say it's doubting God's goodness, his character? We have to trust God. God, did you realize God is a reliable source? 
He's more reliable than your friends on social media. He's more reliable than even your family members. God is more reliable than the news. God's more reliable than your favorite politician. I know it's hard to believe you can't trust every politician. I I know that, right? He's more reliable than even your own heart. God is more reliable than even you. And so for us, if we're gonna defeat the deception of the enemy, we have to fully trust God. We have to trust that God is good. And he's specifically talking about this this specific truth. He's not just talking about truth in general. He's talking about his word. And I wanna actually reverse even further in John chapter eight to see which specific truth is kind of on the chopping block, which is on the discussion table. In John chapter eight, verse 12, this is the very beginning of the teaching. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the whole discussion in John chapter eight is Jesus's bold claim to be the light of the world, to be the, the, the truth, the ultimate truth, and to be the one that if you follow him, you will have life and have life abundantly. And they're like, that's not true. And then so Jesus says, well, it is. I'm, I'm not bearing witness about myself. My father bears witness about me. And they're like, well, who's your father? He's like, well, and he keeps going on and he keeps talking about, I'm the son of the living God. I am the, the definer of ultimate reality. And so when Jesus is telling us to abide in his word, which is truth, he's talking about this gospel message. Jesus is the son of God. He came to this world to teach us truth and to atone for our sins and to raise us back to life. And so for us, we can't just, it's not enough to just believe that and acknowledge that and be like, ah, that makes sense to me. We have to abide in that truth. That word abide, a good way to think about it is abide means to live. So for us, it's we trust God. And the second thing Jesus tells us is live the word. We live the word. That means we know the word. We have to actually listen to the teachings of Jesus. We have to know what he says. And then we also have to obey the word. To abide in something means you don't just acknowledge it in your mind, you live it with your life. Live the word of truth. And I would just say to you, what's your plan for reading the Bible this year? What's your plan for reading the Bible? Now, you might have, you might have you know, tried a, a Bible in a year plan. I talked to a, a guy last week, actually. He said he's in his 80s, and he finally did it, the Bible in a year. And I was like, that is awesome that you didn't give up. Because for so many people, they're like, well, I tried the Bible in a year, and I, I did it. Uh, I got through what? What's, this, what's the second book of the Bible again, right? And it's like, it became like the book of Genesis in January again, right? And that's kind of this, this Bible. And I would just say to you, that's a great goal. And you should, at some point, read the whole Bible. But for you, maybe that's too big of a goal for 2022. And I would just say to every single follower of Jesus, not what's your plan to read the Bible in a year, what's your plan to read the Bible at all this year? What's your plan? Do you have a plan? You need a plan. You have to know the word of truth. We have to know the teachings of Jesus if we're gonna abide in his word. His word is truth, and if you're truly his disciples, the truth will set you free. 
If we're not abiding in his word, we're not gonna be encountering truth. We're not gonna be armed and equipped with the truth of Jesus Christ, and we're not gonna be filled with the gospel message consistently to fight off those three enemies of the soul, to fight off the deceptions of the devil. If you think that my 35-minute sermon once a week is enough to, to, over, to, out, to out volume all that's coming at you in social media, all that's coming at you in, in, in the radio, all that's coming at you 24 hours a day the rest of the week, and you've got to abide in the word. On your own, be engaged in scripture. And then Jesus continues this discussion in John chapter eight, verse 33. I know this was super out of order, wasn't it? Hopefully it makes sense to you. It made sense in my mind, at least, when I was writing the sermon. Verse 33, and they answered him. He's, again, he's just said, Abide in my truth, the truth is life. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, that's the, con- the contrast to abiding in the word, practicing sin, is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Truth is offensive to us. And these Jews are offended by the notion that they need freedom. True freedom is offensive to someone who thinks they're free, but they're actually in bondage. And there's, an, there's a bit of irony here where they say, we're Jews, we've never been in slavery to anyone, says the people who have been the most enslaved and oppressed people throughout history. Really, think about the Egyptians. The whole book of Exodus is about their freedom from 400 years of enslavement. They were often oppressed and enslaved by the Canaanites even after they took the promised land. The northern kingdom would be exiled into slavery by Assyria, and the southern kingdom would be exiled to Babylon. And then it was the Greeks, and currently, as Jesus is even teaching these words, it would be the Romans who they were under oppression. So there's a bit of irony there, a lack of awareness You know, they should say, well, we might have been enslaved somewhat in the past, but what Jesus is being clear about is he's teaching them not about physical enslavement, he's talking to them about a kind of slavery that we are in danger of today, slavery to sin, slavery to sin. It's the idea that when you sin, you take that bait and all of a sudden you're hooked, you can't stop. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the fish might say, even with the hook in its mouth, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Oh, and it gets pulled. No, seriously, I can go this way. Oh, right? And that's what happens in our lives. Because we think true freedom is I can do whatever I want. But true freedom is not actually the ability to, to do whatever you want, even if it's sin, Robert Mounts, New Testament scholar, says it like this, so good. True freedom is not the option of doing whatever you might want to do, but the privilege of opting to do what is right. And that's freedom as Jesus is defining freedom. Freedom means you're now able to choose to follow God. Freedom means you don't have to be enslaved. You don't have to have that next beer. You don't have to get into that toxic relationship one day after the breakup. You don't have to continue in bursts of anger. You don't have to because what happens is when we live a life of sin, we become slaves to sin. And you might think you're free to do whatever you want, 
but there's someone else who actually is at the steering wheel of your life. Slavery is when you can't make your own decisions. Someone else is making those decisions for you. And the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus is he sets us free from being a slave and he turns us into a son or a daughter. And for you, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus, all of what he's saying in John chapter eight, he would summarize in one concise sentence in John 14, verse six. On the eve of the cross, he would say this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's ultimately the word of truth that he's talking about. His identity as the son of God and his mission to save the world from their sins and to give us eternal life. And I'm here to tell you today that if you would believe that, if you would believe that, not just to say that makes sense, kind of shrug your shoulders, I mentally acknowledge that, but if you would live your life according to that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way, not one truth, not one way, not, not one way of living your life, but he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then today you can be set free from being a slave to sin, and you can be a son or a daughter of God. And I, I would just invite you to make that declaration today. You can Pray with someone today. We'll have members of our prayer team available at the end. Myself, our other pastors will be available. We'd love to pray with you and ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. I would also invite you to, to say yes to the step that Jesus asked us to take to declare our faith, which is a step of baptism. Can we celebrate? We had four people get baptized last week. We celebrate that. And I'm praying for dozens more this year dozens more people this year who are being freed from slavery to sin and who are saying yes to becoming alive in Christ Jesus. If you want more information about baptism, you can go to hillcityboise.org slash baptism. We've got a video on there with, with a bunch of frequently asked questions and you can sign up to get baptized today. But for you, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized, here's how I would say it for you. True freedom comes from living in the truth. That's ultimately how we defeat the enemy, is when we live according to the truth. Not just we know Jesus is right all the time, we know that God is truth, but when we live in the truth. So here's how we can practically do that in our lives. I would say to you, what are the two to three greatest lies that the enemy has successfully gotten you with? What are those internal narratives that you consistently believe because we know there's these big picture lies, right? But personalize it. What are those two to three specific lies in your life? And then find scripture, maybe not even a whole chapter of scripture, but just a, a sentence, a verse, or a phrase from scripture that specifically combats that lie and memorize it. Not so you can get you know, gold stars in heaven, but so that you can weapon, weaponize it against the lies of the enemy memorize that phrase, meditate on it. So, one, so many of us don't memorize scripture because we think it has to be long. I can't memorize a paragraph. Can you memorize five words, right? Memorize that phrase, recite it, and, and you mobilize that truth against the lies of the enemy. As we close, I wanna read to you not all the lies that you might be believing, but here's eight that I came up with. And I wanna encourage you to actually write down this week what are the, the, the lies that you commonly believe and find scripture? So here's just an example of what I'm talking about. The first lie is the lie of I'll never be enough. So many people 
face that every day. They look in the mirror. They say, I'll never be enough. What Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, and I believe what he wants to say to you, is my grace is sufficient for you. When you're not enough, Christ Jesus is enough. You can memorize my grace is sufficient for you. Can you do that? You can memorize that many words and pray that every morning as you drive to work. Pray that whenever you face that lie. Write it on your bathroom mirror, right? The next lie is no one cares about me. So many people, this is the age of loneliness. Gen Z is facing loneliness more than any other generation. No one cares about me. Jesus says, I have loved you. I have loved you. And you just think about the love of Christ and you meditate and you dwell on that. The next lie is, I'm a bad person. You think about the things that you've done, the thoughts that you've had, I'm just a bad person. Well, there's good news that the gospel is in Romans 5, 6. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the worst criminal that you can think of, and Christ died for you. Another lie is, I'll only be happy if I have, fill in the blank, the quest for more. And Psalm 34.10 says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You seek the Lord, you can have the good, every good thing that you have comes from God. Every blessing comes from God. Another lie is, I'll always be miserable. I'm never gonna be happy in my life. And in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another lie is everything I do will fail. Maybe you were told when you were a little kid that you're just a failure, you're just a, a mess up. Everything I do will fail. And Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world. Realize that? You are the light of the world. And you can just pray and meditate on that truth. Another one, I'm, just a, I'm a screw up. I'm a screw up. Ephesians 2.10, Paul teaches us that we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then the last one is, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. To which Jesus says, I am with you always. And that's just a small sampling of how you can identify the lies, find actual truth, some of those spoken by Jesus Christ himself, words coming from the mouth of the Son of God, and mobilize that truth to defeat the lies of the enemy. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed, amen? And stand, you worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.